Our text tonight is out of the book of Ezra, chapter 6, Building and Prospering. So for a little review, back to chapter 5, the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel and Yeshua, the son of Yozadak, rose up and began to build the house of God which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now God had to send these two prophets to get them to build because the building had stopped. Zerubbabel and Yeshua were leading the people. They'd come out of Babylon and started building the temple, and some enemies of the Lord came and got it stopped, went to uh, the king, a new king, and got it stopped. And so for about 10 years, the building process stopped. And then God sends these two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to stir them up again. And they go to building again and start building, uh, start the building process again. And we looked at that a little bit in chapter 5 last week. We're focusing here today that the prophets of God were with them and helping them. And that is some unique. It's not always that way. We see in the Bible the prophets like Jeremiah, the kings weren't working with the prophet Jeremiah. And the spiritual leaders weren't working with the prophet Jeremiah and other prophets sometimes mentioned in the scriptures. But here in this case, the prophets and the spiritual leaders and the political leaders, governors, are working together in harmony together and the building process is moving forward and that's how it should be that's how god wants for us that's what god desires for us and we see this theme continues into chapter 6 verse 14 the jews built and prospered through the prophesying of haggai and zechariah and that's been god's desire that we build and that we prosper under the guidance of the prophets that he has given to us. The word of God would have been totally different if the kings would have listened to Jeremiah or Isaiah or so on down the line, Ezekiel, and would have listened and obeyed them and built with them and prospered with them and heard them and were led by them. And the same today. We will do much better. We will build and we will build up and we will prosper. We will grow. We will be encouraged individually in our own personal lives and as a congregation as we obey the word of God, as we listen to the prophets of God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2, or chapter 20 rather, verse 20, right, so it's like 2020 vision there. We don't have 2020 vision again. I wouldn't mind that. But have you had that again? It's, it says there that they obey the prophets and you will prosper, right? And so it's obeying the prophets, which brings about prosperity in our lives. Now that's different than the prosperity gospel that's out there, that just God's gonna just bless you and pour out his spirit upon you and, and you're gonna be rich and famous and, and all your needs will be met and nothing, you'll never have a problem in the world. And that's not exactly according to scripture. God will meet all our needs according to his riches in glory, but not according to what we think or what our neighbors think or what society says is riches here on this earth. But we can be content at all time and we can be prospering in God's will for our lives. Being led, guided, directed by him, blessed in all our ways. And again, that might not mean that we don't have troubles. They had troubles, enemies came and stopped the work of God for again about 10 years. Uh, and so we'll have problems, we'll have struggles, but we can still be prospering under the word of the Lord 
and under the hand of the Lord as we work and work in harmony together. Coming together with all the various different gifts and all the various different talents that God has blessed us with and using them together. In verse 14, they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, there's several things in this half of verse that I think are very interesting. So they built it and they finished it according to the commandment of God, and we've seen that, God commanded that. And yet, even as God commanded it, it still took a period of time. They built, were stopped, and then started building again. So even when God commands, things don't always go smoothly. We're here on this earth. The devil is still here. He's still trying to stop and trying to thwart God's will from taking place. But as we continue and persevere in prayer and surrender to the Lord, he will come through and God's work will get finished. And so it's according to the commandment of God and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. And so it took God's command, and God also used human instrumentalities, even here in this case, pagan kings or, or foreign kings, to help bring it about, his will being done on earth. And so as we pray for God's will to be done, and God gives us his commandment, we can see that he also uses people, instrumentalities, right? So we can pray for healing, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't go to a doctor. Right? We can pray for God to protect us from whoever we're getting sued by, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't go and get a lawyer. Right? I've seen sometimes people just say, well, God's will be done. They're kind of just throwing it, just kind of really giving up. And we need to surrender, but we also need to persevere with the Lord right? and, and seek by God's grace to do what we can do by his strength, by his power, working in harmony with him. And that's what we, again, saw in all these chapters thus far, God commanded, and the people worked and continued to work by God's grace and God's strength. Now, another thing it says here, according to the commandment of Cyrus Darius Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, those are three names there. Those are three different kings. None of them even met each other. They lived at different times. And yet, calls them king of Persia. And it's as they worked together, the three were like one. The three were in harmony together, again, even though they didn't know each other, never met each other, but their three different decrees is what brought about the real one decree, the one command, and it even says the command. There's like one command, even though, again, three different people, three different commands, three different decrees. But as far as God's concerned, it was like one command coming from one king, a unity there in their mind, in their heart, in their purpose. And in that way, it really demonstrates the unity of God, the unity of the Godhead, the unity of heaven, the unity of the family of God coming forth. And when we look at this command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, it's a very important command. It's very instrumental in Bible prophecy because it's the command that's mentioned in the book of Daniel. In the prophecy in chapter 9, which is a very, very important prophecy, which takes us to the coming of the Messiah, to his life, to his death, to his burial, to his resurrection, points out when the Messiah is going to come, the exact date when he's going to be immersed, the exact date when he's going to be killed, the exact date when the gospel is going to go 
to all the world, or begin going to all the world. Very important prophecy. And it starts with the command to restore and build Jerusalem. And that starting date is calculated because of this verse, because of this command from Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. So not just a decree from Cyrus, not just a de decree from Darius, but the Artaxerxes decree, which then fills it out and makes it one full decree to not only just build the temple, but the whole entire city to restore and build Jerusalem. And thus we have our starting date for that prophecy of when the Messiah would come, which is also the starting date for another prophecy in Daniel chapter 8, verse 14. So very insignificant command that comes that God uses these three kings. Now, we have a little chart here. I'm going to zoom in on it. We'll expand it here. We'll make it bigger. And so the top line, the yellow line, is the dates. And there's some other yellows in there of other times and, and dates. And then under that is, is, is kind of like a whitish or pinkish, whatever color of the kings. Those are the Persian kings. So we have Cyrus. And then he's followed by his son, Cambius. And Cyrus, again, allowed us to leave Babylon and go back and start building and gave us that first part of that decree. But then Cambius comes along and he's not so favorable. He listens to the enemies of the Lord and he stops the building. And it stops for his reign, it's about eight years, and then the guy after him, Smyrtus, who lasts about seven months, and so maybe about a 10-year period of time or so, until the second year of Darius. And then he comes along and he's the second king mentioned in that verse of the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. And Darius was very favorable, and he allowed us and gives a decree for us to go back and to start building, and we build, and it only takes about four years to finish it up. And so it took about eight years in the start, then about ten years or so, it hesitated, stopped, and then about four years to finish it, and then four years might have been even less if we would have been able to do it straight, forward, straight through without a break in the middle and have things you know, tearing down and having to get the tools back and get everyone back together and get working again. So what took almost twice as long to build as it should have because of Satan's opposition, because of these enemies of the people that came up and because of Cambius, the king then. And yet there was a command of God to do it. And that's how it is sometimes in our lives. God commands and we can be faithful and moving forward but sometimes things take twice as long. And that's one of the reasons we're still stuck here today. God desires that we go home. But God also desires that none are lost. And so there's a process that needs to take place. The whole the gospel needs to go to all the world. And so he's waiting on us to receive his spirit, to empower us to go forth and to take that gospel to all the world. For God to transform our lives and change us into his image. He's waiting for us to surrender all to him and to stop holding on to things in this world. And things would go much faster, and we'd build, and we'd prosper under God's grace. And so then there's about a 57-year gap between the next exodus out of Babylon. And it doesn't mention, we don't have anything written about what took place in Jerusalem for those 57 years, which probably means that they were doing good. They built the temple, they were offering the sacrifices, they were receiving the forgiveness of sins, they were filling, being filled with God's Spirit and keeping the laws of God and working in harmony with the will of God. And so we didn't need a prophet, we didn't need anything being written, things are going good. 
Nothing to write about, nothing to write home about, everything's good. Not until there's problems, then we start talking, then we start writing, then we start needing prophets. But up in Persia, but back in Persia, in Babylon, we did have some problems in Susan. Because Xerxes replaces Darius, and Xerxes is mentioned in the Bible for having appointed Haman to be his right-hand man. And thus we end up with the book of Esther, and they had troubles, big troubles, in Persia. And so we have the book of Esther taking place during that time, and we'll eventually get to her as well. And then right after Xerxes comes Artaxerxes, and Artaxerxes, that third one that fills out that verse of Cyrus, the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. So it, we, it took six, three kings during the time of six kings to be able to fulfill that one command. And then Ezra comes, leaves Babylon, comes with a group, and comes back to Jerusalem, and a reformation takes place. And then we have a 12-year gap between him and then Nehemiah comes along and then builds the walls under that last command of Artaxerxes. That's a little timeline of where we've been and where we're going in this study on, on, on this part in history with Haggai, Zechariah, Esther, and then after that comes Malachi. Okay, back to Ezra chapter 6, verse 15. Well, one more point on that. You know, sometimes we read these things, we read books, Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and, and since Ezra starts his writings way back here talking about the return, and obviously Ezra wasn't even born then. I was almost 60 years or so before, before more than that, 70 years or so. But he started writing about Zerubbabel and Yeshua, the son of Uzadak, historically. And then it's not until we get into chapter 7 that he starts talking about himself and history at that point. But we read the book of Ezra, and it seems like one thing's happened right after another, and then Nehemiah comes right after that, and it seems like it's right one, one thing after another. But when in reality, it's spanning over a hundred years period of time, and we have the book of Esther in the middle of it, and so it's helpful to see how things take time. God's work moves along piece, piece by piece, step by step. Grow not weary in well-doing. Wait upon the Lord. He will bring it to pass. Okay, chapter 6, verse 15. And the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius, and the children of Israel and the Kohanim and the Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. And with good reason. Right? It took them four years to then final finish it up, waiting for, well, again, close to 20 years or so to, to have it done. And it's finally done. And they're just rejoicing and they're happy and they're dedicating the temple to the Lord. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And so as they're dedicating it, they want to start off right. They start off with the sacrifices. That was the first thing they started building back 20 or so years prior. They built the altar. So that was so key, so crucial to the thing. You know, we love the menorah, you know, and, and, and other parts of pieces of furniture in the, in the sanctuary. But without that brazen altar, without the sacrifices, 
the rest of it has no meaning. Without the forgiveness of sins, without the blood being shed in our behalf, the menorah, the showbread, even the Ark of the Covenant, even the Ten Commandments, is meaningless without that. If we have the Ten Commandments and we don't have the, the sacrifices, if we don't have the forgiveness of sins and all we have is the Ten Commandments, all we really have is legalism. All we have is human strength and human trying to do better, yet we're under the condemnation because we haven't received the forgiveness of God to begin our process, to cleanse us of our carnal nature, to set us free from our weak human tendencies. And so we need God to set us free and we need to come as we all start our walk with the Lord and start each day with the Lord, surrendering and accepting his sacrifice and all of that sacrificing was pointing forward to the Messiah. And it wasn't that God hated these bulls and rams and, and lambs. They wanted them all killed. But they all gave their life as a representation of the Messiah. That God himself would give his life for us. And so they played a very important role in the Messiah's representation of us. So each day we accept his sacrifice in our behalf cleanse us and to move us forward through that day and then to take us through the rest of the sanctuary cleansing us washing us clean filling us with his bread filling us with his word filling us with his light shining his light on our path guiding and directing us praying for others interceding for others and then bringing us to the commandments of god filling us with his spirit now the ability to actually keep them and walk in them and so they built this first, and then as they dedicated, it's the first thing that's mentioned. They dedicated with joy and offered sacrifices to God. And again, that's how all walk needs to be, as we are the temple of God, starting with the sacrifice of the Messiah each day of our lives. Central theme of every message throughout the Bible. Central theme of our lives. <clears throat> And they assigned the Kohanim to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. So here again, we see they're following the word of God. They're following the Torah. They're following the book of Moses. And here again, a single book, but it's five books, right? It's the Torah, the five books of Moses. But it's referred to as one book. It's one whole. And so there again, we have this unique one. One, a single one with different entities encompassed in that oneness. So they were following God and they all had their different roles. So we had the Levites to their divisions and the Kohanim to their divisions. So each had their role, each had their time to serve, each had their part to play. No one was trying to do someone else's job, each had their assignment. The builders are building, the Levites are doing their thing, the Kohanim are doing their things. We have singers and, and people lighting and burning, and we have people raising the, the lambs, and people sacrificing the lambs, people cleaning out the dung, the dung out the dung gate, people cleaning out the ashes, each having their role, each doing something different, each distributing, some distributing to the people, some ministering to the people, some leading, some prophesying, everyone had their gift, everyone had their role to play. It was organized. And I've said this before, you know, some people who don't believe in organized religion, I hear that, I don't believe in organized religion. Well, if we don't believe in organized religion, we only have one other choice, and that's disorganized religion. 
Right? And the Bible says God is a God of order. He does things orderly, and we see that throughout the scriptures. He created the earth in an orderly pattern. He's a God of order. Books are written in an orderly pattern. He sent his prophets and ministers in an orderly way. He set up the sanctuary in an orderly way. And here again, we see this order being fulfilled and done. And God wants to do that in our lives too. He wants us to have order in our lives as a congregation and individually. And each person playing their role, each person doing their part. Different people do different things. Some preach, some sing, some flag, some dance, some prepare food, some clean up, some pass out cards, some print cards. God has blessed us all with different incomes. I'll give according to as God has provided for us. Everyone has a different role. Everyone's walk is different. But we still come together as one unit, as one book as one king, as one family, coming together as one body, each doing our different things, not just off on our own, not just all just doing our own thing. There was a story during World War I where uh, this one battle, uh, they were outnumbered, and the commander got his troop together, and he told them, we're outnumbered here 10 to 1, but we got to hold this, and we got we to gotta our, do our duty, because the the war can be dependent on this. He rallied them forward and they went into battle and they fought hard and it was a tough battle and they were fighting away and the commander was out there with his men and as he's going through the field, he, he sees one of the men sitting under a tree smoking a cigarette. He comes up to him and says, what are you doing? The guy says, well, I killed my 10. Right? It was not just going about just doing our own thing, right? We work together as a team. Everyone gives it their all. We work together, but not all doing the same exact thing. Not all doing the same thing in the same place. Everyone has their role. God has called each one of us. God has blessed each person with a gift. God's given each one a talent. Some people pray and some people intercede. and have that special gift to intercede more. They're just thinking about other people and the congregation and God's work. And that's there on their mind. They're praying all the time. Everyone prays the same amount and the same fervency. God's given everyone a different role, a different gift. God calls us to use those gifts. And then he'll build and prosper on those gifts. Use what we have, and he'll add more to that. And there's times we work individually, and when we're at work, we're on our own during the week. But then there's also times where we come together as a congregation and work together. And we have holiday programs or special programs, and visitors come in, we all work together in blessing them and greeting them and making them feel welcome at home, working together as a team and putting together the work of God here in this area and so God can bless it and use us for his honor and his, for his glory. Some, scenes, some people's work is behind the scenes and no one even knows what's going on. Treasurer work, filming work. Others is up front and others is seen. But God has a calling and a plan for each one of us. And it's important for us to know God's work know God's calling, and to use, let God use us in his field. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day. Well, let me go back a couple verses. It mentions here that they dedicated this temple. It mentioned, there, it, mentioned it twice. It mentioned the verse before it, and then it says, they offered sacrifices at the dedication of the house of God. 
And we're going to look at what I think is the timing of when they dedicated this house of God. Now, I mentioned Adar, they finished the building. And then it mentions these sacrifices and this dedication and the setting up the, everyone doing their part. And then we come to verse 19. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. The Kohanim and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean. They slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity and for their brethren, the Kohanim, and for themselves. So again, we see them purify themselves through the sacrifices. Very important. And they became clean, ritually clean, purified by God. And they had the sacrifices of the lambs for the Passover lambs. Which God calls us to be pure, to purify ourselves as the dedication of the temple taking place, as we dedicate our lives to the Lord. We need to be pure and clean through the blood of the Lamb, that God is able to change us, transform us, and live out of us, fulfill His word and His will in our lives. And the children of Israel had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. So in purifying themselves, in cleansing, being cleansed, being sanctified, they separated themselves from the filth of the nations. Both those things have to take place. Not just we come to God once a week. Not just to come to God a couple times a year. Not just we come to God and then also still continue in the world. Right? You can't have both, can't serve two masters. Right? Like Bob Dylan told us, you got to serve somebody. Right? Either you're serving the Lord or you're serving the devil. We got to serve somebody. We're either serving one or the other. Can't serve both. Can't serve both, both God and the things of this world the mammon of this world, the things of this world, the wealth of this world. You have to serve God and become purified in Him. Which means the things of this world stop. God gives us victory, changes our hearts, changes our lives. Gives us new hearts, new desires, new thoughts, new actions. And then God can use us to lead our friends to Him as well. Sometimes they don't want to, but then God gives us new friends, new associates. Now, again, you can use us and continue to be friendly with them, but no longer living that same lifestyle with them. No longer continuing in their ways, no longer continuing in our old ways. Leaving the filth of this world. Can God tell the difference? Can people tell the difference between us and someone else? Do so we look to them like we're purified and cleansed by the Lord? And we've left the filth of this world in our conversations, in our actions, in our facial expressions, in the things we do, the things we watch, the things we listen to, the things we talk about, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we act, the way we live, the way we eat, what we associate with and how we associate and what we do. Can it be seen? As one person said, if it became illegal to believe a believer in God, would they have enough evidence to convict us? <laughs> it 
They were serious about it. They cleansed themselves and left the filth of this world. And in verse 22, they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. And so again now, mentioned two more times, three times in this chapter, they celebrated it with joy and were joyful. So they celebrated this unleavened bread for seven days, and then the Passover, which is a separate day, but together it's eight days. So it's two, really three holidays with the, unleavened, with the wave sheath offering, three holidays all together as eight days. So again, three coming together as one. And I believe this is when they dedicated the house of God. So they finished it in Adar, and then I think they dedicated it here. I mentioned joy, they dedicated it with joy, and then here it says they're celebrating Feast of Unleavened Bread with joy. So we've got a parallel there and a match there. But also it says they're dedicating the house of God. What does the word dedicate in Hebrew? Anyone know in Hebrew? What, what is the word for dedication? We should know. Hanukkah. Very good, Hanukkah. Hanukkah, the literal word of Hanukkah, when we're celebrating Hanukkah, we're celebrating dedication. It's a word used throughout the Bible. It just means dedication, right? It's not a special word just for that holiday. It's just saying, because that's when they rededicated the temple of God. So it's called Hanukkah, time of dedication, or rededication. And so here they're dedicating, and how long does Hanukkah last? Eight days. And when Solomon built the temple and dedicated the temple, the Bible says he dedicated it for eight days and they celebrated it for eight days. And so here they're rededicating, or they're building a new temple and they're dedicating it. And this is the one that is, needs, gets rededicated with the Maccabees in the Hanukkah story. And so this temple, this, this uh, Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Haggai, Zechariah temple, is dedicated, and I think in this eight-day period of time. What else do we mention in the Bible that we dedicate on the eighth day? The wrist, that's right. Circumcision, the child, the male child, is dedicated on the eighth day. Right? And so several other places in the Bible, animals, other things, we see that dedicated on the eighth day. And so that's why I think it mentions Adar, but then it mentions this as well. And Adar is the month right before it. So they finished, dedicated it, or they finished completing it, and then prepared for the dedication. A few weeks of preparing for that. And then, because again, if they celebrated in Adar, well, there wouldn't be many people there. But if they hold off the dedication, that time to plan for it, and prepare for it, and then Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread, well, that's a pilgrim feast, everyone from all the land has to come to Jerusalem. And so then they'd have everyone there for the dedication. Wouldn't that make sense that that's when they would dedicate it, when everyone's there, even if it was finished three weeks before. And so they, they came together on that eight-day period of time, dedicating with joy before the Lord. And that's what God wants to do in us, because the Bible tells us you are your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And not only you individually, he also says that we together are each fit stones in God's temple, with Yeshua as the chief cornerstone. 
So we are temples, and Yeshua is the temple, and we together with him are the temple of God. And God wants us to dedicate and rededicate our lives to him each day. And together as a corporate group, again, all fit stones coming together. Not just one stone, but all the stones coming together, building up the temple of God. We don't have a full temple of God without all the stones coming together, and certainly not without Yeshua as the key stone, the, the cornerstone built up upon him, built together with him, holding us together in him, united together in him, and rejoicing together with him, with joy for what he has done in our lives, building us up and prospering because of the prophets of the word of God. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. Continue to build us up and prosper under his word. And so as we prepare to pray, if any of these areas apply to you, in a moment when we pray, you'll be able to let God do his work in you. There's some area in your life where you're still participating in the filth of this world. Maybe you're still also serving God or professing God or serving God part way, but you also need to leave the filth of the world. If there's any filth still in your mind or heart, any area, maybe just one area, God's bringing to your mind. In a moment when we pray, dedicate yourself to the Lord, surrender to the Lord, let him purify you, let him cleanse you through the sacrifice of the Messiah and set you free from that area in your life. Secondly, if you're not using all the talents that God has blessed you with and given to you. And you want to surrender that to the Lord and, and say, Lord, use me. Use me. Or you don't know which talents or what gifts he's given you and you want God to reveal it to you. In a moment when we pray, ask God to show you. And I'm happy to meet with you and we can pray together also and discuss it together. Thirdly, if... You're using some talents. God's blessed you with some gifts and talents, but you're only using it on your own. You want to use it in part of the family of God as well. Both areas. In a moment when we pray, ask God to open the door and the way for you to work together in harmony together. All the wheels coming together. Wheel within a wheel and a wheel. Working together in harmony together with God. Prospering God's work. Building it up together with him. Fourthly, you want to dedicate your heart to the Lord. You've never dedicated your heart to God. You've never surrendered your life to God. In a moment now, you have an opportunity to surrender all to him, to accept his grace, to accept his forgiveness, to accept his goodness, to accept his love, and to commit yourself to him and say, God, here I am. Take me and use me. Fill me with your spirit. And let your name be glorified in me. If that applies to you, when we pray, you can do that. Or maybe you've done that and you want to rededicate your heart to the Lord. That would be a good opportunity to do that. Resurrender and say, God, I'm here. Continue to use me. Continue to fulfill your purpose in me. I'm your child. Thank you for being my God. So if any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area. Maybe you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Maybe something's gotten in your mind and heart and you're feeling discouraged and depressed or, or fearful or worrying. Something's stealing your joy. 
Surrender that area to the Lord. Ask him to fill you with joy. Again, it doesn't mean everything's going to be all right. It doesn't mean all the problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean all the pain and all the sickness and all the financial issues are going to go away. But he can still give us joy through that time to be able to rejoice in the Lord always in spite of the problems in this world. So let's pray together in any area that applies to you that God do his work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name and we're thankful for these examples that have been given to us. We're thankful for people like Zerubbabel and Yeshua, son of Uzadak. And we're thankful for Haggai and Zechariah and willingness to do your work. The Levites and the Kohanim and coming together. Lord, do that in our lives, do that individually and do that here corporately in us as a congregation as well. Fulfill your purpose and your will. We want to have those sacrifices, your sacrifice applied in our lives. Forgive us for our sins, cleanse us, dedicate us, purify us, live in us and out of us, and fill us with your joy. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.